Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of these cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled, The Power an image that, without overstating it, is one of the most amazing and most popular image in the collection. It was shot in the dark of night, but the cross is fully illuminated in white light. And right behind the cross, and spreading out, is a huge lightning strike. The most common question I get about this image is, did I do any digital manipulation? No, Photoshop or any other technique was not used on this image. When you look at the 35mm negative, you'll see the cross and the lightning behind it. In other words, what you see is how I captured it. In regards to its uniqueness, the first variable is that I live in an area that is rarely exposed to lightning storms. I would say a lightning storm like this appears once every several years at best. And as you've heard, there's a cliche that says luck favors the prepared. In this case, I heard the radio station warning of a dangerous lightning storm, and they said that it could be anywhere from 200 to 400 strikes per hour, and that we should shelter indoors. Well, the existence of this image infers that I did not stay home, and the other variable is that while I did have my camera, which means I was prepared, I had my camera in my car, I drove up there so fast that all I had with me was one roll of 36 count film, with only 30 shots left. Fortunately, I had been shooting for about 12 years at that point, and lots of experience really paid off for an opportunity like this. I set the camera on a tripod as low as the ground as possible, way off to the left of the cross, shooting up. I used an F-22 with a four-second aperture, and then I set a 10-second delay. So when I pressed the shutter, I had 10 seconds to run over to the right-hand side of the cross, but just out of sight, I was holding an external flash, and when I heard the shutter open, I knew I had four seconds to pop the flash and hope, cross your finger type hope, that a flash of lightning would emerge during those four seconds. Out of that roll of 30 shots left, magic struck twice. One became the power, and the other one, with the more slender single strike, is entitled the touch. But why did I choose the name the power? Well... The image itself lends, it, lends to this type of title, as there is a lot of lightning in this image. 
It's a single strike, but with many branches. And as for me, it seems that it takes an incredible amount of electrical energy to create lightning. And overall, the composition, to me, invokes the power of God and the power of the story and impact of the cross. And then there is scripture that inspires me. The first one that resonated with me is Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Wow. This says to me that the power inherited as a child of God is the same power that raised the crucified and deceased Jesus from the dead. To me, this power comes from dying to yourself and carrying your cross daily. Because if we, by imitating Christ, are crucified with Christ, then we will be filled with the same supernatural power the resurrected Jesus. But what does this really mean? As if to ask, how? How can we as Christians, followers of Christ, really flow in this paradigm, precept, and power? How does giving up all your strength and all you have actually result in inheriting God's resurrection power? Well, for me, it starts with faith. Do I live my life in a way that is defined by my faith. Remember, it is said, we walk by faith and not by sight. And faith is what will be needed to get through this thing called life. Many challenges will come for us, especially as we get older. Some challenges are managed better than others. Some challenges actually break people or cause them to walk away from their faith. But knowing you are in God and God is in you makes all the difference. Now, even those who have faith that they are unconditionally loved by God will still go through challenges from time to time. But the peace that flows out of pure faith can keep the believer from giving up or even considering giving up. Yet, separate from challenges, there are temptations that also test our faith, in that when one gives into sin, or as we say, falls, then our faith that we are still in God's grace gets tested. Maybe the believer seems to fall in a certain area too often. Maybe what was a small distraction has now become an obsession. Maybe the challenge here is really that they fail in the same area too often. And for someone who does not have enough discipline or will power, maybe they, don't, they feel like they don't have the power to continue to try. This feeling inevitably gets stronger and persists after they fall so many times. Some may simply give up trying and fully give in to their desires regardless of the consequences. The difference is the child of God who has truly opened the door of their heart to Jesus does not give up. Instead, after they fall, they get up and they continue in faith. Yes, I know because I've been there. It does not feel good to hit the ground. But in faith, you rise again. Faith that you are unconditionally loved. Faith that Jesus became a man, felt every aspect of what it means to be human, and as such knows exactly what you are facing and what you are feeling. With the gratitude of 
Jesus' sacrifice in our mind, after the feeling of falling a few times, a deep realization that you don't want to fall again for the third, sixth, or ninth time, or any more. Because of this, something kicks in. Something inside of you starts to become very, very strong. You resolve to be a better child of God and to be a better person, to always strive to go from good to better. And what does this mean? How do you define when a Christian becomes successful? What would the definition of a triumphant Christian be? Hmm. When we look back at the early church, what would we call a dedicated, victorious, and fruitful Christian? To me, it is those who apply their faith through some of the most extreme challenges. If you recall, almost all followers of the way, followers of Christ, faced severe persecution. Not just the Hebrew disciples who had to suffer from the ruling priest class, but even a hundred or so years later, the Romans persecuted and made sport of dedicated Christians. Many we now refer to as saints. These saints were triumphant through faith, gave up everything, including their life. They acquired divine power by giving up all their mortal power. And according to the Bible, are not all of us believers called to be saints? And if that is true, should we not have a healthy definition of what a saint actually is? The majority of what I've read seems to revolve around holiness, that a saint is someone committed to being holy. And as I read about this, holiness seems to be nothing more complicated than just making the right choice. You could read righteous choice in every moment, and then the next moment, and then making the right choice in the next moment, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, every moment of those months, making the right choice. In whatever scenario your next moment may be. I know it sounds easy, but I've tried a lot, and it is not easy. But I do not think that a person who has reached holiness has done so without having some guiding principles in his lifetime. It takes structure or discipline to know what is right and wrong and to follow through. Wisdom being defined as the application of knowledge. Without borders to the road, without a defined path, how would you really know if you're headed in the right direction of the goal of reaching the intended destination? Our Father God guides the way, but us as his children have to walk in that way. I do not think the holy person reached that designation of being holy by just doing whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. If a believer is on their path of destiny and a sensual pleasure takes hold of his attention and he finds the distraction to be so good that he resists the call within him to get back on the path. And in resisting over and over, the urge for the path dissipates. The result could mean being prevented from ever fulfilling the destiny. Real power is manifested when structure is set. Daily guidelines you can hold yourself to. Nothing esoteric, nothing complicated, nothing woo-woo. Structure being described by something like, I will read something specific today or each day. I will read one chapter of Proverbs per day per month. Or I will read three Psalms each day. Or I will read one gospel chapter and or I will read one epistle chapter per day. Or I will pray a full 30 minutes. And my 30 minutes of prayer will cover these topics. It could be many things. 
It could be added to that 30 minutes of prayer for intercessory prayer for others. It could be something active like sharing the gospel with a person or visiting a senior center or helping an old lady in your neighborhood with something around her house. Most every one of these objectives take time, takes discipline to stick to, and on some days takes sacrifice to fulfill. So when a holy person is committed to living by a set of disciplines or commitments, then no matter how he felt during that day, those vows become the choice, becomes the mission. Whether one feels tired or not, whether one is in the mood or not. And these daily disciplines are a foundation for when the huge decisions of life come upon you. Jesus, in one parable found in Luke 16.10, said, If you are faithful in these little things, God will entrust you with much more. But don't worry about that for now. Focus on being in the moment and being the best child of God you can be. Today, life's purpose from a normal day can shape the direction of where these goals are going to appear. It sets the direction in the way, moment by moment, which starts really with the simple things, the structure we set. Think of it this way. The possibilities of doing what we want and experiencing anything in this world are vast, especially with technology like the internet. But it doesn't mean you should freely do what you want to do at all times. This is not a healthy way of growing. One of my mentors put it to me this way. His son has the freedom to play almost any piano piece. He's in high school. Even when faced with the most complicated arrangement, he is free to play it. But what does that really mean? For him to truly have that freedom, he had previously submitted to a mentor who helped him set a structure, guideline, commitment, and sacrifice. He gave up many hours per day, per week, for many months, years, dedicated his practice, and after staying on this road of this defined practice for years, yes, multiple years, he finally can claim to have the freedom to play almost any composition and play it well. In martial arts, it may take five years of practice, sacrifice, pain, and discipline for the freedom to not only wear a black belt, but also the power to teach others. Now, am I saying that to be an effective Christian, you have to wait for many years? No. Well, my mom, who was a heroin addict when she was born again, immediately was sharing the gospel and leading people in the sinner's prayer. However, her methods was a little rough. She was like Tigger in the Winnie the Pooh story. She would pounce on people and share the gospel. In such an excited way, it kind of intimidated and scared some people, to be quite honest. But over the years, as she matured, her way of sharing the gospel actually became more effective. Now, for me, when I first started studying the saints, it felt a little limiting or intimidating as well. When I would read how they overcome their, overcame their physical aspects, their frailties and their tendencies... No, I just don't mean succumbing to sins or a passion. No, it could be choices that may not be considered righteous decisions, but sometimes choices made out of fear, say of losing security, a home, a job, food for the family, and other comforts of a luxurious life. Some, like St. Francis, made his decision while arguing about righteousness with his wealthy father, the same father who bought the clothes that he was actually wearing at that moment. The decision that Francis made was so profound that he stripped those clothes off, told his dad he can keep them, 
walked out of town naked and kept walking into the next phase of life and into a powerful ministry. More importantly, some had a choice of denying Jesus Christ or becoming a martyr. I am in awe when I read stories of believers overcoming the natural survival instincts and keeping their faith in God. One very important aspect of the mental-spiritual connection is to make higher divinity choices. Eventually, every believer needs supernatural power provided by the Holy Spirit to overcome our natural tendencies of our Adamic nature. This is the foundation I'm talking about. A practice of daily Bible reading, contemplation, and prayer is essential. Past that, I became better because I compared myself with Old Testament prophets, saints, modern missionaries, and even bios like leaders like the evangelist Billy Graham. I read those bios and I gained insights on their routines, ways to live that translated their ability to tap into the best version of themselves and how they overcame even the most impossible of odds. Before I read about their way of thinking, choices, mindsets, and discipline patterns, I couldn't visualize those characteristics. But now, since what I've read is inside me, it becomes much easier to do a deep dive into what I'm actually made out of, or can be. Challenging yourself, setting up a practice, helps move you past the need to compare yourself to others, to become a mature Christian, and to become the best version of yourself. Human beings like stability, something integral to the higher goal of being balanced, a proper way of standing. This being defined as the proper way of aligning your body on this earthly plane. Being adequately aligned to this dimension's ground plane, I recall that I have heard it said, if you cannot stand firmly, no matter what type of righteous life you are trying to live, you will come up short. You can only be as good as your foundation, and this foundation means optimal balance for your spiritual footing. Faith is this foundation. In James 1.8, Jesus said, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In finding your true balance, your true ground, your path to source, takes time. Think of how long it takes a tree to grow big, all the time spreading its roots equidistantly deeper and wider. Or think about when you learned how to ride a bike. No matter what your parent or mentor told you, it wasn't until they let you go and you felt the balance. When you felt the gravity and found your place in between the 50% on your left and the 50% on your right. And if you remember, there was nothing intellectual about it. Once your intuition found that balance between the pulls of gravity on your left and on your right, you never had to think about it again. Ride after ride, that balance became more and more your second nature. With that in mind, how is the state of balance in your life? If you feel that something is not correct there, then you should find a way to balance it out. As you consider it, it may be as simple as being too active in some parts, and maybe you are too passive in other parts. Let's start with an assessment of your normal day. How much of it is active, doing, and how much of it is passive, observing? Observing could be watching the sunset, being quiet and really observing your loved ones at a family gathering, reading or enjoying a movie. For me, yes, I love watching and shooting sunsets, as I've mentioned often, and reading about saints. But if you are flowing only and observing, there can really be no fruit. Like tomato plants, if I overwater them, they'll have lots of leaves. 
but they will never have fruit. I have to stress the tomato plant out for the fruit to be pushed out. Let's look at another example. If you are in the spirit, being quiet, and observing your loved ones at a gathering, and then you notice your sister needs help with something, and since you're observing, you'd be the first one to jump up and offer help. What does that say about your testimony? Offering help would mean you're being active. Our goal should be the balancing of observing and serving by being active. Some adults waste each night with watching sitcoms or movies, doing too much observing, observing amazing journeys in these shows, but ignoring the active part of being, not living their own unique journey. Many young people are consumed by their electronic devices, and some would say, unless prompted, they will not be observing the room in which they're in and oblivious to what is going on around them. We say these people are out of balance. Going to church for a few hours, observing on a Sunday is good, but was there at least that much time doing something active? Something for yourself, for others, and especially for the kingdom of God? Keep some truths in mind. Since you were born, to the moment you die, the amount of days and the amount of nights are 50%. And the amount of summer to the amount of winters you've experienced are 50%. On a daily basis, the amount of breathing in and breathing out across your entire life is about 50%. These ratios reveal what the whole expression about harmony, balance, stability, and unity are all about. as a fractal truth of our existence on this planet. Everything that is a part of our existence is built on balance. Look at light from our sun, confirmed by scientists to be a particle and a wave. And as a wave, what is it doing? A wave oscillates between polarities, meaning the wave travels up to positive and down to negative, and up to positive and negative over and over and over and over again. What can we learn from the central truth of nature and our universe and the dimension we live in? One thing I've learned a long time ago is that we should not get too complacent when things are going good and don't get too discouraged when things are bad. And to use this perspective to set or reset our expectations. Why? Because we learn that life is full of good and bad at the same time. To be in alignment means to live within the positive and the negative aspects of life. Expecting it removes you from the disappointment that can break some people. Remember, this balance is biblical. Paul said in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What else can we learn from this universal truth of positive and negative polarities? Well, think about it. What do we see on every battery, whether a 9-volt or AAA? We see a dash symbol representing negative and a plus symbol representing positive. We learn that it takes both polarities to make power. Unfortunately, we see too many people living on the street who cling to negative too much, and we see some rich, conceited people who cling too much to the positive, neither having any real power in their life. If our lives are built on waves then we have a baseline at the top and a baseline at the bottom. An alcoholic or a drug addict keeps striving to push their psyche past the top baseline to get higher, to go past the high baseline. But the pendulum in this truth is that they will eventually be forced that much past their low baseline. Meaning just to get back to their high baseline will take that much more distance. 
but they are not happy just at the top baseline. They strive again to go past the top baseline again, and when the high wears off, they find themselves past the bottom baseline again. For example, a hangover. And so they are off to the races. To those of us that are observing, those people are considered out of balance. For most, it may not be drugs. It could be hundreds of different choices and mindsets that cause you to fall out of balance, even if only a little bit. It could be striving for money, enjoying entertainment, gambling, politics, sports, social media. It could be anything that can cause you to be out of balance. Your balance is unique to you, and the power you are seeking in your life is something you can only find through your unique balance and harmonizing with the Holy Spirit. This supernatural power comes from the dimension known as the kingdom of God. In Luke 17.10, Jesus said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here, or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of heaven is within you. For us to be in the right resonance, the exact right frequency of our unique internal antenna to be dialed into, not fluctuating with the sine wave of our life, but settled into the in-between, not fleeing from the low and chasing the highs, but embracing both, having our being in the center of the source signal, in the center of the fundamental clock frequency of who we are in Christ. Okay, but how, I can hear you say. Well, in my humble layman's perspective, once you stop resisting, stop trying to force things, stop trying to force people to your preconceived notions and expectations. Stop. Observe, then act. Stop means live life the way it is, not how you want it to be. Live each day with the hand you were dealt, trusting in God for what may be needed for that day. Instead of thinking that something happening to you is unfair, wait. Bite your tongue and observe. Maybe what you will observe is that the situation is something God is setting you up for. A divine appointment just for you. And if you are quiet or still enough to observe the need or possibility of that moment, then you can act to meet that need. Or say an encouraging word or learn a lesson for yourself. What I'm saying is if you back out to the 10,000 foot view, this balance is found in dying to yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 10:39, If you lose your life, you will find it. This is where true spiritual power comes from. Remember, the positive part of the battery does not take over, and the negative part of the battery does not try to conquer the positive. It takes the balance of both to create power. When you really live by faith, and you really allow God to harmonize your life, you will find that power that we read about in the lives of the early church and of the saints. It is a full flowing in the prayer and lifestyle of, not my will, but yours be done. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Ask Jesus for that balance of him dwelling inside of you and you dwelling inside of him. Allow his Father to meet your needs as you find that power generating balance. Doing so provides the faith needed to endure every trial and strength and to sacrifice whatever you are called to, as Jesus did, for the kingdom of God. Go, be that shadow of Christ, today. If you are not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, contemplating what Jesus did for you, 
read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this episode's image, The Power, along with my other versepirations, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross Products, hear other Cross Podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T dot com.